This is Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week on how to live well. Shine On is heard all over the world as a podcast, but it's heard first on the radio in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, it's Casey. Thanks so much for tuning in to Shine On. We have a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about resilience and what makes people resilient and how we can prepare ourselves to be more resilient. And we're going to talk about angels and we're going to talk about going back and reclaiming your life. And we're going to talk about cognitive behavioral therapy with my new favorite person, Dr. Jonathan DiPiero. And he's going to share some information from the book Resilience, the Science of Mastering Life's Greatest Challenges. But first, I want you to meet my friend, Kiki Fackler. We're new friends. We just met recently at the Shine On Women's Retreat. And I told her we've been telling angel stories. And she told me she has an angel story, which she's going to share today. And then I learned she also wrote a book. She was working towards reclaiming her life as a storyteller and a writer when she published The Blonde Who Spilled the Beans, an Izzy Dubois mystery. And then her husband, Ed, who she's called her Prince Charming, had a very serious health issue and his life hung in the balance. Life is different now. Ed was an ultra runner and his running community is helping him through. Ed plans to run again on a prosthetic leg because he lost a leg after an aortic dissection. That's a tear in one of the large blood vessels branching off from the heart. It was just a terrible time. But Ed and Kiki, they are resilient. And they're doing their best to find their way in this new normal. And boy, can I understand now why Kiki, who's from Pennsylvania, came all the way to Marion in Ossining, New York, for a Shine On retreat with her friends. Boy, did she need it. And I'm happy we met their Kiki. And I know we're going to talk angels in a bit. But first, tell me about The Blonde Who Spilled the Beans. Yes, it's going to be a series, The Blonde Who series. And so the next one is called The Blonde Who Opened a Can of Worms. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I mean, I see all sorts of things, you know, the movies that could come, the action figures. It's <laughs> the Barbie dolls. <laughs> the Barbie dolls. Very sweet. So where can we find out more about your uh, writing world? I don't have a website set up yet. I've been working on that, trying to get that all together. I was working on that when um, this happened with Ed. So things kind of got pushed to the side. So, you know, but just buying the book on Amazon would be a great big help. So is this something you've always wanted to do? I've always wanted to be a writer. Yes. Ever since I was teeny tiny, I still have these things I wrote when I was five, six years old. Mm -hmm. So why didn't you pursue it? What took you astray? At the time when I was growing up, it's not like I'm like that old, but it wasn't in my circle of how I grew up. It wasn't a thing for women to do anything other than kind of get married, you know, mm -hmm. have kids, be a secretary or whatever. You know what I mean? It just wasn't cultivated, you know, shall we say. So, right. But you can do that now. You can cultivate yourself now. I can cultivate myself now. I'm trying, I'm working on it. <laughs> and what was your career or is your career? Currently, I'm I'm in um, customer service. But before, Ed and I had been in sales, and I've been in sales for pretty much all my life. Sales is my jam. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, we are talking today because you have a story to share with us. I do. An angel story. I'm all you ears. Okay. <laughs> 
Well, so my husband collapsed at the Y on January 29th, and he had an aortic dissection. So it's one of those things where he wasn't even supposed to live, like 4% chance. Um, he was in the hospital for four months. He lost his kidney. He lost his leg. And initially, I stayed at the hotel close to the hospital for probably like three weeks, but I wasn't able to continue that just because of the expense, and I had to get back to work. I was home by myself, and one night as I was leaving, my coworker said to me, good night. I know that the angel watching you will keep you safe. And I'm like, okay. You know, I didn't think much about it. Okay, see you. Bye-bye, you know. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, she said, I really feel that I really need to tell you what I meant by that. So she said, when I was praying this morning, God showed me a vision of an angel sitting on the roof of your house with the sword drawn. And I'm like, okay. And so then she described my house, which she's never been to. She's in Texas. You know, there's no way she ever even saw my house. Described him in detail, sword drawn. She asked, you know, why are you there? Are you there for Ed? You know, because of Ed's injury. And he said to her, no, I'm not here for Ed. I'm here for Karen. And I don't know, like in a time where everything was obviously about Ed, and I was just dying inside and like kind of afraid to be at home by myself at nighttime. It gave me such a sense of peace to know that there was an angel like on my rooftop. You know? Yeah. And I still check in with her to say, is he still there? Because it just makes me feel, it gave me just so much comfort and feeling like, okay, I can relax. You know, I don't have to be scared or be on guard. And so, yeah, it gave me goosebumps. It was wonderful. Yeah, it gave me goosebumps, too. <laughs> and and did you feel this angel over you? I could. I could feel that the presence. Like, I just had no, absolutely no sense of fear. Like, once I knew that, I just, like, I knew that I was, like, resting in the arms of an angel, and I was, and I was fine. It's exactly what I needed. Having that piece of information, did it help you through the journey? And how goes the journey? Absolutely. It, it helped me to know that, you know, in a time where sometimes you feel like God isn't there, you know, like, why did he let this happen? I've had, you know, so much gone on in my life. I just thought at one point, I don't think I can take one more thing. I'm not going to be able to to bear it. And somehow through this, I just had this, this sense of overwhelming calmness and peace. Yeah. So, and just being able to even like make the hard decisions, like like he couldn't make a decision as to whether to take his leg or not. It's a big deal, and I had to make that decision. And I, I was very extremely calm, and yeah. And why did they have to take his leg? When you have an aortic dissection, it's like your aorta explodes basically, and so he lost blood flow from his waist down, and more on his left side than on his right side. So they tried to reroute, you know, the veins and get blood flow to that leg. It wasn't working. They had to. Take and how is Ed today? He's okay. I mean, he's he's starting to go back to work. You know, he's learning to walk on the prosthetic leg. He has an indomitable spirit. You know, he's nothing's going to keep him down. So gonna he's going to come through this. And how's Karen? Um, Karen's okay. <laughs> Good days and bad. You know, it's just it's hard because he also lost some blood flow to his brain, I believe. And so he's not exactly the same person. It's just you know coming to grips with all of that, trying to figure out how to do life together again, how to connect. I'll be okay. I got angels watching over me. That's Karen Kiki Fackler. Find her book, The Blonde Who Spilled the Beans. She has angels watching over her. She is resilient. Shine on the Health and Happiness Show brought to you by New York Ketamine Solutions. We'll be right back. 
If you're coping with depression and nothing has worked, New York Ketamine Infusions would like to hear from you. They're accepting new patients suffering from depression, PTSD, anxiety, and other mood disorders. Ketamine works differently than traditional treatments, and they're the most experienced ketamine infusion center in the nation. New York Ketamine Infusions' physician-led team safely administers doses tailored for each patient and boasts an impressive 84% success rate. To learn more, visit nyketamine.com. Hi, it's Casey. I have in my hands a fantastic book called Resilience, the Science of Mastering Life's Greatest Challenges. This is the third edition, and it's filled with research and also personal experiences from people who have survived some of the most traumatic events imaginable. What helps people adapt to life's most challenging situations? How can you build up your own resilience? And did you know there's actually a science of resilience? We'll find out more from Jonathan M. Piero, Ph.D., professor of psychology at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. And he's the director of Mount Sinai Center for Stress, Resilience, and Personal Growth. He's a clinical psychologist and expert in psychological resilience and the treatment of trauma-related mental health conditions. And today he's teaching me about CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Which addresses the negative automatic thoughts that pop up in people's minds when they develop conditions like depression or anxiety and PTSD. A lot of negative self-judgment, a lot of negative judgments about other people. And we know from half a century of research, basically, that by helping people see the thoughts more realistically and more helpfully, their mood and their behavior actually changes. Wow. I was speaking to someone the other day diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and, you know, they're under a doctor's care and they're medicated, and they told me that one of the mental symptoms is sometimes they have these grandiose thoughts where they think they're better than everybody else, and sometimes they have these thoughts where they think they're worse than everybody else, but no matter which thought they're having, they feel separate from everybody yeah. else. Yeah, that's, that's right. For some people with bipolar disorder, it can really fluctuate dramatically. Typically, people who are depressed see themselves on one end of the spectrum as inferior to everybody else, as broken, as unlovable. And all of those things are probably not accurate. The cornerstone of CBT or cognitive therapy is that when you have these conditions, you develop essentially a lens through which you see the world. You see the world through a distorted lens, and the therapy is meant to like sort of clean the dust off your glasses and make you see the world clearly and realistically. There's a lot of research to suggest that very good work can be done in CBT in 10 to 14 visits, and actually at our Mount Sinai health system, we created a short-term treatment service for our own healthcare workers who struggle with depression or anxiety or other common behavioral health conditions. And we try to see people for about 14 visits, and we see actually quite a lot of progress in those 14 visits because unlike some other therapies, CBT is a very active process. So there's actually homework that we ask our employees, the staff that are coming to get care with us, to do outside of session. And that's, in fact, the cornerstone of CBT, to have practice, because you're only with the patient for one hour a week, and they have to live their life for the rest of the week. So we encourage them to put into practice the things that they learn in session so that it reinforces the new skill. And there are lots of other therapies that are effective, but I particularly like CBT because it's very active, there's very good evidence, and it just fits my my personality. What's a CBT 
therapy session like? That's part one. And part two, what's the homework like? Right. A CBT therapy session, you can think about it big picture like a board meeting where there's an agenda. You set an agenda with the patient at the very beginning. Typically, you review the homework from the prior week. You set an agenda for topics that you want to discuss that day or new skills that you want to introduce and review. And the patient also collaboratively sets an agenda with you because obviously things happen in their lives. So they bring in difficult situations that they're struggling with and you work together to apply the skills they already know from prior sessions and maybe a new skill to addressing the challenges that they face in day-to-day. One of the principles of CBT is that those same patterns of, say, self-judgment come up again and again and again. So there's actually plenty of opportunities in someone struggling with depression to challenge the same negative automatic thoughts. And a homework might be something we, we call a thought record or thought diary or thought log. There's a lot of names for it. That is, at its core, a kind of spreadsheet where, on the one side, you think about the situation that you find yourself in. You think about the thoughts that are popping up in your mind, making you feel, and whether those thoughts are helpful or realistic. So you really break a situation down into thoughts, feelings, and ultimately behaviors. And by looking at it in a structured, orderly way, you can really think about where you can intervene, where things can change, and where there might be distortion that you might be experiencing. We are talking to Dr. Jonathan DePiro, and he has a book out called Resilience, the Science of Mastering Life's Greatest Challenges. What can you tell us about the book? So the book is really a culmination of many decades of research and interviews with people who have been through different kinds of stressful situations. This started over 20 years ago with interviews of Vietnam War POWs, where my colleague and the dean of our medical school, Dr. Dennis Charney, and our colleague, Dr. Stephen Southworth, sat down with um, men who had been in Vietnam War POW camps for many years and learned from them, essentially, how they survived psychologically. And from that came a huge body of research around the biology of resilience, psychological factors that contribute to resilience, and interventions to promote resilience, including ones that we use in our own center. So there was a first edition in 2012, the second edition in 2018, and with this most recent edition, we bring in what all we've learned from the worldwide experience of COVID-19, the research that's happened in the past five years, which has been an explosion of research in resilience, and new interviews with a variety of different folks to really make it much more up-to-date, current, and readable. So one of the things that's unique about this edition is that it's meant for the public to use as a guide. So it has go-to resources in it, advice about how you can build resilience in your own life that was less present in the prior two editions, which were more college-level textbooks. And I was reading, too, you talked about your colleague, Dr. Charney. He has a particular insight to bring to this work because he was actually shot by a former co-worker? Yes. Many years ago, he had been stopped by an employee that he had terminated for academic misconduct. Um, and while getting his morning breakfast of a bagel and coffee, was shot in the parking lot of a deli in his hometown and was shot in the shoulder area, lost a lot of his blood volume, um, had to be rushed into emergency surgery. As a resilience researcher and as a researcher in PTSD, sort of put his skills to the test. That sounds like the storyline from a television show. That doesn't even sound real. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's surreal also that, and, you know, so scary that something like that can happen. 
Right, absolutely. So we look forward to reading those chapters in the book, but what can you tell us about being resilient? Is there anything we can do to enhance our resiliency or practice resiliency? There's a lot you can do. I think the most important thing to know about resilience is that it's a muscle that you can build up. And it is very important to build it up before you need it. So for example, building up your network of social connections before you need to lean on it. So think about like a a soccer net. You want to throw together all of the different parts of the soccer net so when the ball hits it, it doesn't just blow through. Uh, So you want to invest time in your social network, getting support from people, checking in with people, supporting other people so that you have a robust, thick, dense social network. So when you need it most, when you're sick, when you're going through a loss of a job, you can lean on people for concrete support, but people can, you know, maybe borrow, you can borrow money or they can take you to an appointment if your car breaks down, and emotional support where they can be there for you and tell, tell you how they did it when they went through it themselves. So that's the most important thing. I think social support is one of the most important factors, but advanced preparation is also a very important factor. So all of these things we're talking about for resilience in the book are things that people can do on their own. It's not dependent on genetics. I love that image that you gave us. You sew together that soccer net so when the time comes, you have the network behind you. I really love that. So talk to people who may be struggling or know someone that's struggling with depression, anxiety, PTSD. Talk to those people. What kind of encouragement or advice could you offer us today? I think it's hard to give blanket advice, but one thing that I'll say through my experience working in clinical psychology and in a medical school is that there are new advancements all the time. Um, If you look at the news, there are new drugs being developed for treatment of depression, anxiety, and PTSD. In fact, we're developing many at Mount Sinai. Uh, There are new psychological treatments. There are new digital health treatments for these conditions where you can do something on your phone or computer without having to go see someone in person. So there is hope. I would not be in this business doing this thing if there wasn't hope for the recovery from even the most extreme of symptoms. Wow, even the most extreme of symptoms. That's good to know. I would also say that having a little bit of optimism can be really helpful. You know, people who get bogged down in pessimism due to their personality or depression or anxiety and think that the problems that they're facing are permanent, are defining them as a person and affect their entire life, that way of thinking is really problematic because it's really demotivating. It doesn't encourage them to lean into the issue and see what they can do to address it. It makes them want to withdraw. So someone who's a little bit more optimistic, and I'm not talking about toxic positivity, someone who's a little bit more optimistic can see a problem as limited in time and see the areas where it's within their control to address or problem solve. Beautiful. Where can we go for more information about you and the book and everything else? Yeah, so I would encourage folks to visit Amazon, where you can purchase Resilience, the Science of Mastering Life's Greatest Challenges. You can also visit our website at the Center for Stress, Resilience, and Personal Growth at Mount Sinai. I'd also encourage you to check out Mount Sinai's Road to Resilience podcast, where we interview uh, many folks who've been through challenging situations, and you hear from them what their advice is about how they addressed it. 
He's my new favorite person, Dr. Jonathan M. DePiro. I hope he's not too surprised when he finds me sitting outside the Center for Stress Resilience and Personal Growth at Mount Sinai. (laughs) Hi, it's Casey. We've got more on resilience on the way. Shine On, brought to you by New York Ketamine Solutions. If you're coping with depression and nothing has worked, New York Ketamine Infusions would like to hear from you. They're accepting new patients suffering from depression, PTSD, anxiety, and other mood disorders. Ketamine works differently than traditional treatments, and they're the most experienced ketamine infusion center in the nation. New York Ketamine Infusions physician-led team safely administers doses tailored for each patient and boasts an impressive 84% success rate. To learn more, visit nyketamine.com. Hi, it's Casey. This is Shine on the Health and Happiness Show. The book, Resilience, the Science of Mastering Life's Greatest Challenges, revised and updated for a post-pandemic world. Our guest, one of the authors, Dr. Jonathan M. DePiro. Did you notice when he said how optimism goes a long way, but not toxic optimism or blind optimism? Page 29. Contrary to popular belief, optimism does not mean blindly ignoring life's problems or viewing the world through rose-colored glasses. Instead, we're talking about the research referred to as realistic optimism, like pessimists, realistic optimists pay close attention to negative information relevant to any problem they face. Unlike pessimists, they don't remain focused on the negative. They don't get bogged down in things they cannot change. The book goes on to say many other researchers have documented examples of unrealistic optimism, often described as optimism biased, where people say their personal risk of negative life events is lower than that of their peers and that their chance of good things happening to them is higher. In short, there is a natural urge to feel special, which can bring temporary comfort, but it's a risky thought to hold unchecked. That's from the book Resilience. Maybe you've heard me mention the two blessed to be stressed people. That always makes my left eyebrow go right up in the air. But you know, maybe blind optimism or toxic positivity could be a step in the right direction to becoming a more positive person. Realistic optimists pay close attention to negative information but they don't remain focused on the negative. Brings my thoughts right back to Karen Kiki Fackler and her husband Ed and the journey they're going through right now, doing their best to remain optimistic. So I hope you're doing well in this end of summer back to school shift. I always go through like a couple of days of mild depression. I don't know why. Maybe it's leftover from childhood. And then I buy new shoes and new books and I feel better. If you need a day of quiet reflection, we have that planned October 21st at Graymore in Garrison. November 1st, a night of evidence-based mediumship will take place in Verplank. And we already have our dates for the 2024 Shine On retreats at Marion-Dale, February 23rd and August 23rd. Those are weekend retreats. And if you'd like to be entered to win the weekend retreat, go to WHUD.com and take the peace of mind pledge from Miles of Hope. Miles of Hope is a breast cancer foundation that wants to educate you and they want you to know early detection is key. So take the pledge to get your mammogram and you're entered to win a piece of jewelry from J. Mark Jewelers and 
a weekend retreat with me. And I took the pledge and I'm going to make my appointment this week. Promise you by the time we get together again next week, I will have my mammogram appointment. Do the same. Take the pledge. WHUD.com. Our thought for the day is from Nelson Mandela, who said, Do not judge me by my success. Judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up again. Shana. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week. It's your time to shine on.